Father, thank you for um, just this morning and for all these um, women that you brought here safely this morning and just for your love for us and, Father, for your word that is very clear um, just about how you want us to live and you want us to live authentically and transparent with those around us. And you have the perfect example of that just in the way that you live, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that all things are game with y'all and so I just pray that we will follow your example that we will um, hear your words today and that we will not allow the enemy um, to shut our ears or our eyes or our hearts to what truth is um, Father and that we'd be able to walk boldly um, in what you tell us pray that you calm our hearts and that you would only speak through us what you want these ladies to hear and it's in your son's name we pray Amen Alright you may introduce myself first or do you Okay um, My name's Suzanne and I'll just go ahead and tell y'all, if it was my card, I would tell you speaking in front of a bunch of people. It's one of my top fears and one of my insecurities. And so this week has been a beating, um, knowing that I'm going to come do this. And so my heart's pounding out of my chest, and I will sound probably like I'm nervous, but we will just keep moving. And eventually, I'll feel like y'all are my best friends and we're just at dinner, and so it'll be great. Um, and I've been on staff for eight and a half years. A little over eight years. Seven and a half of those were in children's ministry. And then in March, I moved over to family ministry to partner with Kyle Kegler to do um, partnering with y'all, which is really fun. So that's my, and then, well, you tell who you are, and then we'll tell how we know each other. My name is Tracy Beckwith. I um, am married to Van. I have a son, Scott, who's a freshman at Baylor, and a daughter, Hannah, who is a freshman in high school. And um, we probably lived, the, we've been married, um, how many years? 23 years. And we probably lived the first 10 years of our marriage um, on our own, completely on our own. We prided ourselves in making decisions well. We just were very independent. And thankfully, the Lord protected us from making some really big mistakes. But having lived in community the last um 10, 12 years, we realized there are a lot of things we probably could have done a lot better had we not just isolated ourselves and kind of lived on our own little island. And so um, that's why isolation is a, um, something that's on my heart um, because I have lived both ways. And living out of isolation is clearly a better way to live and it is God's plan. Um, isolation for me, it's funny. I am a freak about talking about what's going on and about dragging it out of people. If any of y'all already know me or know anyone that knows me, they'll tell you that that's probably one of my um, things I'm most passionate about is just getting what's going on inside of us. And that's because I found really early that if I did say it out loud, I've never said something out loud that someone didn't go, well, yeah, of course I feel that. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Because... All of us in our heads keep going, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. And I've never said something out loud that someone was like, well, of course, I think that all the time. So it's um, a passion of mine, which is why Tracy and I, I don't write these down. So I want you all to listen as we read um, these and then be honest with yourself. And then in a minute, you're going to have to be honest with us about whether or not you heard one that you didn't write down, but you could have written down. Okay. You want to go back and forth or just read them all? Okay. Um, I don't have enough time to do things well, and I have an insecurity with my body and my weight. Rejection, what others think, failing as a parent, growing old. Fear about my, what my kids will think of me as a parent later in life. Getting older, 
um, living apart from God, my husband not knowing the Lord. Transitioning from two to three kids, my kids needing lifetime therapy for my mistakes, (laughs) never finding myself again, always being mom. My fear is that other people are judging my parenting skills. I also fear that I'm not parenting the right way and won't realize it until it's too late. That I will turn out to be a lazy, mediocre parent that is more selfish and less effective than my vision for myself is, for Christ, and therefore I won't show the right seeds early enough. My children keeping their faith, their safety when they're taken away from me. When they're away from me, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's fear. There you go. That's another one. Fear um, that my son won't do well in the nursery today or even with the sitter tonight. Discipline. Failure. That I'll hurt others or that I fell at being a mom. Fear of being left alone as a parent. <laughs> when my daughter reaches puberty and has an attitude. <laughs> Fear that my husband and I will not always be on the same page about parenting. Insecurity. Scared that something will happen to my baby that she might even die. That my anger issues will negatively affect my son. Losing my husband or my kids, not raising them well. Um, My my kids, that is, not my husband, I'm sure. (laughs) I can't read that one, sorry. Um, Not surrendering daily to Christ. Failure in teaching my daughter about Christ. And afraid of injuries. Car accidents, kidnapping, someone injuring or hurting my children. That my daughters will grow up to hate me, that we'll have a high conflict relationship. People won't like me or understand me. Being judged by others, I'll do something that completely messes up my kids. Public speaking, failure of any kind, being unprepared for anything, caught off guard. Ooh, that's my friend, public speaking. I need to find out who that is. <laughs> fear my kids' friends will influence um, them in their teen years, and then I fear division in the body of Christ. Fear of being left out. <coughs> Isolated. Because. I- Isolated. Because of my decisions. Insecure when late. Insecure when late. Okay. Did y'all hear any that you didn't write down? Raise your hand. Be honest. Which you could have written down. Yeah. And that were similar with what was written down. Yeah, it was kind of funny. We were like, oh, look, they're kind of all the same. We could have bunched them all up together. So if, um, on y'all's sheets, we, I think, I, did I put that definition of isolation on your page at the top? I think I did. Okay. I should probably have one of y'all in front of me in front of which you have and don't have. Okay. Whenever we were thinking about how you would define isolation, um, we had it as being separated from others, but this separation can be a lot of different things. We want y'all to kind of get the full visual. It can be physical, so like literally hiding yourself from other people, or it can just be a matter of your heart. Like you can literally be sitting across from someone for three to four hours and leave, and they have absolutely no idea what's going on with you. So it's not just physical, but it's also a matter of the heart. It can be from the Lord or from people. So you can isolate yourself from the Lord, even though you're telling other people stuff. Or it can be the other way around. You're telling God everything and not telling people anything. And then you can be isolated as an individual. You can be isolated in your marriage. Or you can be isolated as a parent. Or as a friend. I mean, like it's everything. Okay? So no stone goes unturned today, ladies. All right, 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that no temptation has seized us except what is common to man. And so there's nothing that tempts us to run into isolation. Our fears or insecurities, there's nothing that's new. And here, 
Um, my favorite part about just in that video is that you know scripture is clear that Satan's like a roaring lion waiting to attack us. In that picture, it's funny because he's kind of at first the water buffalo is kind of like, hey, he kind of stares him down a little bit. And I feel like a lot of times we're like that. We're like, hey, Satan, you know, back off me. But then all of a sudden he gets bigger and there's more of him. It feels like there's not really, but it just seems like he comes on a lot more intense. And so I have felt like that a lot, especially this week and in the last seven months. It's just like he's everywhere, and I'm like, dude, back off. And so we start to feel this, and all of a sudden we just feel surrounded and we just want to give up. And so that's what we want to talk about the dangers of being isolated so when we take ourselves and hide ourselves away in all of the any or all of those areas and what it does to us there are a lot of dangers with isolation one it can begin to affect if you isolate yourself either physically or in your heart from the Lord or from others or both um, it really begins to change your perspective and you begin to lose perspective. Your perspective becomes very singularized. It's only what you think. And if you're in the middle of something that's difficult, it's very hard sometimes to see truth. And if you isolate yourself, you're closing yourself off from truth. Um, It's very easy to get tunnel vision, to think nobody else understands what I'm going to. Nobody else has, has endured this. Um, you begin to think you're just you're terminally unique. That I can't share this because they won't understand. Um, your truth, truth gets blurred, and you really can start thinking crazy things that are just irrational, um, and really believing that you're the only one, or that what I've done before is that God just doesn't care. Why, why would I tell him anything? Why would I go to him? Because he just doesn't care. Um, you can start manipulating situations. You can get into a panic mode if you're isolated because you're just, you've cut yourself off from truth. And it's easier to get yourself in a place where you panic and want to run to irrational places. Um, because you're going on your own irrational thoughts instead of hearing truth from others. Um, you begin to have to manage yourself and manage your appearances and what you are willing to do and not to do and therefore can even isolate yourself um, more in those situations. Um, This is something that I struggle with. My son... um, is not a typical boy. He's almost 19, but he calls me all the time and talks to me all the time, which is not always typical for a boy. But he is very emotional, and he lives in his emotions a lot of times. And he will call me and just, you know, tell me all this stuff, and I can immediately start thinking things. And if I don't get away from that and call One of my friends will say, now wait a minute, remember, he is talking out of emotion, let's look at what the truth is. I can can start isolating um, away from him, away from decisions, away from other people, because I'm not um, living in that truth. And it often, um, when when his situation seems very difficult, I almost have, I have trained myself that I've got to call one of two or three people and they've just learned to go, okay, wait a minute. Is that really reality? Is that really what's happening? And 
99.9% of the time, it's not. He loves to talk in always and nevers and no one. Um, and it's 99.9% .9 of the time, not reality. But if I don't listen to other people remind me that that's not um, really what's happening, I can, I can isolate from that. Yeah. And Tracy and I have been friends for, I don't remember how long, but this is one of the things that, part of why we were so passionate about this, and she called me and she said, I'll talk if you'll talk with me, and we went through the list, and I was like, well, I mean, I don't think we have a choice, we have to talk on isolation, because this is something that we continue to pull each other out of being isolated, because I, I get high, I'm, I'm a lot like her son, I get high strung up on my emotions, and the world's caving in, I mean, I called her last night, I was like, I can't do this, I can't do tomorrow, but I know I can't bail on you, so I'm a little stuck, so she was like, you can't bail on me. I was like, I know. So what do we do with the other side? Because I just don't feel like I can do this. And she's like, Suzanne, you're going to be fine. I'm like, no, I'm not. I've never been in their shoes. I've never been a parent. I've never had little kids. What if they get mad at me? What if they start? And Robbie was like, we can just give them tomatoes and they can throw them at you and it'll be fine. And I was like, you know, just, I was like, I don't want to go in there and either make a fool of myself, make them mad, or they shut me out because I've never been a mom. It's like, I can't, let's just get somebody else. And Trace's like, stop. Is it truth? And I'm like, yes. Are you telling them anything that's not in Scripture? I'm like, no. Okay, then we don't have a problem. I'm like, okay. Now, doesn't mean I didn't sleep last night, all that. But I still was in, at least at that point, right? Um, but in Scripture, I think a really good picture of isolation is David. And, you know, David was supposed to be at war. And he's the king. He's supposed to be with his people. And he's supposed to be at war with his men. And, he, and what's interesting, I think, up to that point, he'd always gone. And this time he decides to stay home and he sent his men out. And then he starts getting a little bit by himself. And then he sees a beautiful woman out on a roof. And then he just kind of stays in his own little world. And he starts thinking this is fine. And so then he takes this woman and he sleeps with her. Then she gets pregnant and then he panics. So again, he's still by himself. He hadn't gone to anybody and gone to talk to anybody. And he's just rotating in his own little world. So then all up to the point where he has her husband killed so that he can keep her so he's not in trouble because she's pregnant. And I just think, brother, you've had a chance. I mean, and that's just like, that's pretty much David's the biggest downfall. I mean, some of his scripture of just what in the world did I do? And then when Nathan gets there and says, brother, what were you thinking? Like, then he can go, okay, I can repent and turn and live in truth again. But that picture is such a big picture for me of when we get all up in our own little world and then end up making some really poor choices. And so it's the decision to stop when that stuff comes into our mind and talk about it. Um, other dangers of isolation is vulnerability. And I'm going to read you a passage out of Isaiah, Isaiah 1, 4 through 9. And it's a pretty bleak picture of what can happen um, if we let ourselves become vulnerable. Um, ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corp corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire, your fields are stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left, 
like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord, Alm- Lord Almighty has left us some survivors, we, had, we would have become like Sodom. We would have become like Gomorrah. Which I think that scripture just shows us that when we are vulnerable, things can go very poorly for us if we live in that darkness. If we stay in that isolated state and continue to live just of our own devices without hearing truth from God's word and from God's people. And I let in that video when you saw the lions, you see what they did? <laughs> it's like they cornered this brother and they just figured out how to get him off by himself because they're not willing to take on the whole crowd. They're willing to take on the one they can get apart. And most of the videos, there's actually another one that's maybe a little bit better than this one, but they take off the weakest one and they pick off the sick. Lions are actually pretty wimpy creatures <laughs> and they always go after the ones that are lame, weak, sick, and isolated. And if you think about our own lives, what do we do? When we start to get a little bit more insecure and we start to, we start to withdraw and then it's going, oh, good, look, I've picked them off from the pack. I've picked them off from the strong so I can just easily take them out. And so here's the lies and I think this is, oh, it just makes me mad. Satan's creative and he's good. I remember the day that all of a sudden it registered. I kind of kept thinking that he'd be obvious. Like, of course, he's going to, like, you know, throw a, guy, a good-looking guy right there that I should sleep with. I mean, like, it's going to be that obvious. Like, he's just going to walk up and ask me to sleep with him. I'm going to go, well, no. I mean, like, it's obvious. But that's not what he does. Like, he's crafty. And he's good at what he I mean, like, he's the king of what he does, which means he's the best. And I just don't think I give him enough credit. And so you think about the lies he starts to tell us, and they're all just a little twisted. Like, if you keep it to yourself, you can control it. Well, we can't control anything, but yet, oh, but maybe one ounce of control will be if I keep it to myself. If people knew, then they won't want to be around me or my child. And how often we start to keep those little things to ourselves because it's like, well, I don't want people to judge me, or I don't want my kid labeled. I don't want people to know about my husband because then that's gossiping, that's talking, you know, and it's like we've got to be willing to bring people in with us so that we can walk through the process. If, people, if God cared, he would do something about this. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> Satan's like, oh, probably God doesn't even care about you anymore. Just like in the garden with Eve. You twisted it just enough to where Eve goes, wait a minute. Maybe that is what he said. So maybe I will go against what God wants. I can handle this. I can work it out. It will just go away. We waited out, you know, and I'm like, that, he doesn't go away. He's kind of ruthless. Like, he's all up in your grill, and he's going to stay there until you make one of two choices. And that's either to flee, run, and get help, or you fall into it. If, if you knew, you would think I'm a bad parent or my husband is horrible. And if y'all, I don't know how many, often y'all heard Todd say this. If you knew about me what I know about myself, you wouldn't be here. But if I knew about you what you know about yourself, I wouldn't let you in. Okay, so the bottom line is, is we got to make a decision. <laughs> we can either all be in it together, or we need to all go run and be by ourselves. Okay, we're done. We can go home. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, the enemy also will convince us that by talking about our kids to others, by sharing our struggles, their struggles, struggles in our marriage, that um, we're not honoring them. And there is a difference in gossiping about and just getting together with friends to, you know, beat down your husband or your kids or whatever and really sharing honestly struggles that are going on and getting help and then taking that help and growing um, in it. So, what does God say about isolation? Um, 
I mean, we've, we've talked about the dangers of it and why isolation is not a good idea. So what's God's answer for isolation? Um, his answer is community, and it's a, his call to community. Um, he wants us to live, first and foremost, connected to him. Um, which means we have, to give, we have to make time in our lives, and we have to give God time and space. We have to get to know him. And the best way to do that is by reading his word. And he has promised us that if we give him the time and space, he will always be there with us. Joshua 1, 7 through 9 says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So, um, if we give him that time and space and if we know him and are living the life he has called us to live, he has promised he will be with us and he will, he will endure everything that um, we are going through. Matthew 22:37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And if you hear in there, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, you have to do all three. You are isolating if you don't live and um, love Him with your heart, your soul, and your mind. And that's an easy trap to fall in. I, I have lived for a period of life just not that um, far back in the future, I mean, in the past, that um, I was doing all the right things. I was showing up at church. I was showing up at Bible study. I was teaching the kids. I was doing everything I was supposed to be. I was going to community group. But I'd shut the Lord out because I was believing the lie that he didn't care. If he cared, he would not let all these things continue to go on. Um, and it, one day it took Suzanne, and I didn't even realize I was doing it. And one day Suzanne, we were talking about that verse, and Suzanne said to me, you know, you're living that right now. You're having to prove you love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And she didn't realize that even that I wasn't completely loving the Lord with everything. But it, her question to me that day made me realize that um, I wasn't, that I had shut the Lord out, that I was doing all the right things. It looked good, but in my heart, I really wasn't staying connected to Him. And as soon as I made that change and real, came to that realization, everything changed. And the situation that we were in at that time did not look nearly as difficult. I had a friend who lost her mom three years ago, and she started struggling with depression and with anger with her dad because her dad had kind of started walking away from the Lord and making some poor decisions and she had 
had a daughter right before her mom was born, um, right before her mom died. She had her third child, which was her daughter. And she came to me, this is about a year ago now, and she just said, I'm miserable. And I was like, okay. And she was like, I'm bitter, I'm angry, I'm not forgiving my dad. She was just like, I'm kind of done. And I was like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's start hanging out. And so we started hanging out once a week. And finally, I just looked at her and I said, are you giving God time and space? And she was like, oh, I don't have time. I've got three kids. And I was like, you, then you better find it. And I was like, because God's word says, if he's called you to this, he's going to give you what you need. But you cannot have what you need if you're not spending that time with him. This is where I assume you're going to start throwing tomatoes at me. Because, you know, I think the enemy uses this lie. Just wait until they're old enough. Wait until they're grown and they, they're kind of independent and you get more sleep. And, and I mean, listen, he's using your children to pull you away from the Lord. And I'm like, that's just not okay. And so I told her, I was like, you figure it out. And I was like, and I'll tell you, when I spend time with him, I cannot explain this, but when I will get up and spend time with him, it takes me 30 minutes to get ready. When I sleep, I can never leave my house in 30 minutes. It is the most bizarre thing. And I am convinced the Lord does that on purpose. He is like, if you will spend time with me, I will give it back. It will go smoother. It will work out. And and it's funny because I told her, I was like, this week, every day, I don't care when you do it. I don't care how long it is. You find it. And she's like, okay. So we text her back and forth every day. And she, we met together the next week. And I said, how did it go? She goes, that was weird. And I was like, why? She goes, I mean, this week was insane. Things went wrong. And she goes, and yet I could handle it better. And he gave it back. I got more done. And I was like, it's just how he works. And so you've got to make that decision. Okay, y'all can throw whatever you want to. Ooh, all right. <laughs> the one thing I was like, they're going to hate me for that one. Um, another thing um, that we need to do in order to stay connected to him is very clear in 1 Corinthians 10.5. 2 Corinthians. Sorry. Yep. 2 Corinthians 10.5. Um, we demolish arguments in every... Pres- pretension that is that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. When we get in those places that we start to think something that probably is pretty irrational or maybe even just a little bit bit irrational, we have to take that thought captive to Christ and say are these lies of the enemy that I'm falling into or are these thought, thoughts from Christ? And you've got to be connected to him. You've got to know his word so that you can take those thoughts captive to him. And then living in the light even before the Lord, which I think sometimes we kind of, well, he knows it, so I don't have to tell him. But it's, it's really important. In John three eighteen through 21, it talks about Jesus came, but God came as light into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. We're allowed into the light because of what Christ did on the cross. So once you've accepted him, that it is wide open. Like you, nothing you do, nothing you say can separate you from the Lord, but your actions can cause distance. And I think sometimes it's that mental thought of, well, God knows, and so now he's mad at me. And God knows, and so therefore I can't go back. Or this is the 450th time 
maybe 455, that I've done this, and so I'm not going to go back. And God's going, please don't believe that lie. Like, come into the light every day. My mercies are in you every morning. Sometimes I wish it said every hour. Because it, they are. Like, he wants you there, and so you've got to bring that stuff in and go, I messed up. I messed it up. And he's always right there. And it's that picture of the prodigal son. I mean, that brother went and, I mean, he took it all, squandered it, went away. I mean, imagine the worry on, I mean, y'all know, your kids leave the house, you're worried about them. They store them off, are they ever going to like me again? But he was standing there waiting, and when he came back, he didn't ask for any explanation. He just took him in. We've got to be willing to say that stuff to God and say, I messed up, and I don't believe you love me. Maybe you need to tell him that. Like, I don't know you're going to take me back. But all that communication is what draws you back into his presence. This is where I want to talk about my picture, isn't it? Yeah, but you oh, first. oh, it, yeah. Oh, sorry. First uh, John, if you look on your paper, we messed up. Where it says "live in the light" and with Him, down also under community. First John one five through ten should be up next to Him, not the with others. Do y'all see that? Or here, let's just say this. Just next to where it says live in the light connected to him, write down this verse. How's that? <laughs> Forget where it is and I'll show you to mark it out later. First John 1, 5 through 10. Well, yes, exactly. Tell him. Okay, got it. Okay, this picture, this summer I got to go to Haiti. And one of the craziest things when we were there, the Haitian amputee soccer team was there and it had just formed like three or four months after the earthquake and so they hadn't been practicing together very long and they we got to play with them and it was just unbelievable to watch these men and we were sitting on the bus and I'm handing gum out and I handed it to a guy who only didn't have any arms he took it from me and I thought this is going to be phenomenal well he just set it in his lap because he couldn't open it and I was like sorry and so we opened it for him but just these men having to learn like a lot of them lost limbs in the earthquake so they all came together and got to go play. We got to spend time with them over there. We actually got to play a soccer game with them, which was insane. And then they came to Dallas, and we got to spend more time with them. We tied. <laughs> Barely. So um, then they were here in Dallas, and we got to spend time with them again. And this picture was in the Dallas Morning News. And this picture just blows my mind because it's, if you notice, and it's hard to tell, but he didn't have an arm, and this guy didn't have a leg. And, like, this guy can't tie his own shoe. And so he has to let one of his teammates tie a shoe. And that picture, like when I saw it in the paper, I called and begged the Dallas Morning News to give it to me until I have it under top secret, whatever, like nobody knows I have it kind of thing. But I just was like, that's so how it's meant to be. Like we have got to depend on each other. And these men, I mean, these grown men who I'm sure used to be independent, you know, doing everything on their own, and, but are having to learn to rely on each other. And so that picture just, it's now hanging in my room. And I just love it because it, it just makes us realize we've got to make a choice to do this together. I sort of just did your Sorry. Well, the next part, in addition to being connected to him, we need to be connected to others. And that's part of God's plan um, is he gives us his word, but he also gives us other believers. He gives us the body of Christ. And he intends for the body of Christ to be there for each other, to um, help each other through joyful times, through difficult times, through time, you know, anything that we need. That's part of his plan. So Ecclesiastes 4, um, 7 through 12, talks about just, just this picture. Two are better than one, because if one falls, 
the other is there to pick them up, or to, as that version says, to, can help each other succeed. Yeah, I don't know. Huh? You ready? Okay. And then live in community, which, welcome to Watermark Community Church. Um, you've heard this probably at nauseum if you've been here for very long. But community, I think we can fool ourselves that we're actually living in community. But God calls us to, um, to do just that. So Acts 2, 42-47 says, All believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to sharing the meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals in great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So if we're following what he wants us to do, God will also be impacting others through us. And then Philippians 2, 1 through 4, If there's any encouragement for being in Christ... Belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. I'm going to read that part again. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And I think that's... Uh, that's a lot of times what we try to do. I don't want you to think bad of me, so I'm not going to tell you that I'm struggling with whatever. I don't want, I don't even, like Tracy and I even had this conversation a couple months ago, or probably weeks now, and I just said, Tracy, I need more time. And that was hard for me. Like, I was like, I can't believe I'm going to go tell her that I need to spend more time with her because that's going to make me look needy. Then she's going to want to run away because I need too much. But I was like, that's what I have to do. I can't impress her. By thinking I have it all together. I've got to go tell her. I need more one-on-one time, one-on-one time with you because of where I am right now. And, it has, and it's amazing when you get that stuff out there and when you're honest and you're not trying to impress other people. It's, the Lord takes that, blesses it, and it makes the enemy have to move away. And as the perso- person receiving that request, you have to be thinking of others as better, of yourself, better than yourself. And um, you know, what does God want here? God wants you to love your friend, not be selfish with your time. Um, so it works both ways. Yep. And Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And God wants us to be um, connected to others living in the light, telling others of our struggles. And um, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 12 through 26 is the um, passage of scripture that talks about one body with many parts. That, you know, there's the eye, there's the hand, there's the ear, there's, you know, the whole body. And they all work together for one. Um, if the hand is hurt... It can't really hide itself from the rest of the body. Um, The rest of the body will know it. And that's the way the body of Christ is. If one of us is hurting or in need, we need to go to those believers that are around us that we know, that we trust, that that, um, we love and that love us, and tell them that we're hurting because they don't want 
you know, as a body, as the body of Christ, we don't want other believers hurting without them knowing and feeling God's love through us, because that's God's plan. Um, and then Ephesians 5, 1 through 13. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the first verse, first two verses are, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then it talks about not having sexual immorality, greed, all these different things. And then it says in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes to those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruit, fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention that the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed with, by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it said, Wake up, O sleeper from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So it's very clear there that we are to, we are to expose the darkness in our lives to others so that we can live in that light because that's what God calls us to. All right, y'all ready for a little activity? I know, y'all are so excited. Is it me you have a 16-year-old? Fantastic. Okay, so that's what's going to make this so great. On the little piece of paper, there's a thing that says scenario. And what you're going to do is I'm going to tell you a scenario, and I want you to write down all the stuff that starts coming into your mind. So the things you're going to fear, the questions you're going to start asking yourself, the things the enemy is probably going to start telling you, and just start just writing. And I know this is not going to be easy, but you've got to get yourself all the way into this. Okay? Just think about it. You don't have 16-year-olds. It's not happening to you. Okay, just act like it is. But it's when Tracy and I sat there, and she has one close to 16, so this is real easy. I mean, I can go there for myself. Like, I can start listing out that all this stuff's going to come. So your 16-year-old daughter just walked in the door and told you she's pregnant. That's it. (laughs) Right away. (laughs) Everything you start thinking, what you're fearing, what your insecurities are. This, cannot, this is also like when you, you, know, you calmly walk away from her and go to your room and what starts happening there too. Not just necessarily what you're saying to her. Okay, now I want you all to talk amongst yourselves at your table. So just talk about what, what it would feel like, what you'd be saying, what lies you'd start believing, all that fun stuff. Be bold, girls. Be honest. I'm going to walk around, make sure you're telling the truth. All right. Okay, somebody tell me what it was like as you started writing down, thinking about your 16-year-old daughter telling you she's pregnant. Come back, ladies. Come back, come back. One, two, three, eyes on me. Yes. <laughs> Do we, should I bring you a microphone so, or you'll talk real loud? Okay, so, so we're going to um, talk about first what it was like as you started writing in this scenario, actually trying to put yourself there. What that feel like? 
<laughs> yeah. I got the actual literal part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know everything. How could this happen? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Could y'all hear that back there? Just she was saying. Then she starts questioning. What? Did I, where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? And now am I disqualified to ever share wisdom with anybody else? Because clearly, well, my kid got pregnant, so surely I don't know what I'm doing. So kind of that whole. I like to call them hamster wheels. We like to get in those a lot. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, did y'all hear? She should have said a sadness of the loss for her daughter. Of now she has to grow up really fast, and all the decisions she'd have to make. Yeah. Okay. Isn't this phenomenal? This isn't even real. And yet y'all are like, oh my gosh. Now, so now when you started talking about it, first it was a little bit hard to reveal how, which is kind of maybe the thoughts that were going through your mind. Anybody have that? Like, I don't know if I want to say that out loud because that's pretty. Uh, wow. I just pretty much called myself out. It's not real, but you called yourself. I mean, anybody? Come on. Somebody tell me you felt that way. Nobody. Okay. So. You know, we get this, oh my gosh, I can't say that out loud. But when you start to say it out loud, how many of y'all looked at each other and it's like, oh yeah, exactly, I'd feel that same way. Happened to every table, had to have happened to every table. Yeah. No, no, you didn't. That's exactly the point. (laughs) And so we were talking about this activity. I'm like, you think it'll work? Like, you think, I mean, and I'm like, how can it not work? It'll work. So it just, if you go to people and talk about it, don't believe the lie in your head. You're the only one or they're going to judge me. Now, walk with me too. You have to really literally walk with me. But um, let's look at John 9 at the very beginning. Okay, this last um, seven months has been, it is that big four-letter word. It really has been that. And it's, um, it's been hard. And it's been a lot of loss and grief and just taking me emotionally places that I just didn't want to have to ever go again and brought depression back into my life. And it's just been miserable. And I started reading in John because I was like, I don't know where else to go. So I started reading John just one chapter a day, just going, just help me stay in your word. Help me stay in this. And so I got to John 9 where it it talks about Jesus healing a man born blind. I'm squealing. I'm sorry. Um, And it got to where it said, the disciples asked, is this man blind because of the sins of his parents? And Jesus said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And then if you go jump over to John 11, it's when Lazarus dies. And the sisters, they try to go get Lazarus, I mean, go get Jesus. And Jesus doesn't come back. And when, uh, when Jesus heard about it, it said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So often in our lives, we are convinced what happened in our lives is really about us. And it's just not. Everything in this earth, the reason we're here is to bring God glory. And so everything that comes into our life, he's allowed it to happen. And I cannot tell you the number of times this man said he knew this was going to happen. Like this weekend, we have single parent family retreat, and I was talking today, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why would I even think about planning those two things together? And then I just kept saying, oh, Jesus knew. God knew. He knew this was going to happen at the same time. And he just knows. And he allows these things to come into our life, which that creates a whole other talk. I could come and talk about that for like days about 
why would he do this? Like, but so God, what? But we'll just assume we believe and trust and love him and know what he does what's best for us. Okay, so now to the glory part. And he does this stuff so that he can be glorified. And yet I think so often we get all holed up in ourselves and go, but this is about me. This is about my pain. It's about my anguish. It's about my kids' anguish, my kids' pain. When it's like, no, this is about bringing him glory. And so when you look at, sorry, um, 2 Corinthians 12, 5 through 10. And this is the part where Paul is talking about his weaknesses. And I know we've all heard this like a few thousand times. 2 Corinthians 12, 5 through 10. This stuff's not on your hand out. So y'all put down John 9, John 11, and now 2 Corinthians 12, 5 through 10. Sorry, I will get there. Then clearly didn't mark this one off. It says, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. And he talks about everything that um, he's done. But I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I want to boast, I would be no, if I want to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it, because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. Boasting requires talking. Boasting requires we tell people about it. And so that means I've got to go to people and say, I can't do this. I can't survive where I am. And the last seven months, pretty much that's all I've said to people. I can't keep doing this. Last night I called her and said, I can't do this tomorrow. And the reality is I can't. But it's not about me. It's about whether or not God's going to receive glory if I rely on him and my weaknesses. And that's what he wants is to glorify himself, but we've got to talk about it. Because if I kept it to myself, he didn't receive glory, it just looks like I can handle it. But if I tell you I can't do this, and then somehow it happens, well, there's only one answer, because I couldn't do it. Only God can do it. And then the second part is 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. This is the verse that I've clung, these two verses I've clung to this um, month. Seven months. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to, to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God. And I would even add on others, <laughs> because I think part of how God chooses to work is pushing us towards other people. So now we're going to watch the last part of the video. I heard lots of moaning that we were showing you on animal dying. So let's watch the rest of the video. Can we turn the lights? Off right there. Okay. Okay, but I mean, really, you know, I mean, they could have just said, "Oh well, another one down." So we're gonna go ahead and take off, go about our day, run off. You lose one every day, so that's the way it goes. But you know, I like that part where they all kind of turn and run. It's like someone goes, "Wait a minute, why are we running?" There's more of us. There's fewer of those people. Turn back around. And so it's like they come back and they're like, "No, you know what? Not today." You're not taking one of ours out today. And I just love that picture. And that's what... We've we, we got to be able to talk about it. He got a hold of me. He's munching on me. I said that to somebody this week. I was like, brother, is not on me. And we need to pray he gets off. And so we got to talk about it. And then when we talk about it, Satan kind of goes, oh, I'm a little outnumbered. I'm going to back up. I'm going to move out on this one today. Now, he might come back tomorrow. But, you know, and just... It, it requires us telling people that he's gnawing on us. So now we get to the practical applications. Y'all ready? Okay. This, um, I think it was a year ago, October, 
I, we meant to go look at my journals. It might have been two years ago, Trevor, but the actual time, the timing matters only in the fact that it's been at least over a year ago. Spending time with the Lord, and he very, very clearly said to me, you get up every morning and spend time with me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't do mornings. See, I'm a night girl, and I like my sleep. And he's like, you're going to get up, and you're going to spend time with me every single morning. And my goal was a month, and he gave me even a specific length of time. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. So I literally adjusted my life for a month and figured out how to get myself up and spend this time with the Lord. And like it was a factor in my day. It's kind of that whole, i got to go to bed at this time if I'm going to have to get up this time to spend this amount of time with him, and then I'm going to get ready. And, of course, it's only going to take me 30 minutes because that's... I spent time with him. So I got 30 minutes and I'm going to leave the, leave the house and I'm going to be at work on time. So I did this for a month. And the, the difference it made in my life was so dramatic, I kept doing it. And I've kept doing it and kept doing it. And then when this seven months hit, that habit has been unbelievably important for what happened. And I look back at that now and think how sweet was the Lord knowing this is coming. You're about to get whipped. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was such a fun reminder the other day just to go, man, he knew this was coming. Like he knew I was going to need to have this in place so when this stuff came. And so spending that time with him every day. And I listed on here, pick a consistent time. Like know when it's going to be. And I know for y'all, oh, I won't be so hardcore on that one because I realize sometimes it might be, I guess, 20 minutes at this point. But just... Plan it into your day. Schedule it. Like, don't, it's not just going to happen. You know, I think sometimes we're like, I'll just happen to feel like sitting down in the middle of my kid's nap. I'll sit down and go to sleep. You got to schedule it. Treat it like an appointment. You want to get your hair done? You got to spend time with Jesus. Okay? So put it on the calendar. Make it happen. Talk to your husband. Get him to help you make it happen. Talk to your friend. I need this to happen. Okay? You got to work at it. And then journal. Um, A lot of people hate that one. I personally love journaling. A lot of people don't like to. I fill those suckers up, and I just write and write and write. And they're not pretty and eloquent. I have a friend who will go get them in my house and burn them when I die. Um, we have a deal. And so I, because I wouldn't want anybody reading those things, because I'm just pretty blatantly honest in there. I mean, I'm hardcore. I'm like, I'm like this, now I'm like this. But you got to be honest with the Lord. you got to tell him how you're feeling. Don't fluff it up. Don't feel like, I mean, read the Psalms. David wasn't, he wasn't happy. And it wasn't always pretty. He's like, why have you left me alone? When are you coming back? So be honest with him and get it out there and let him be the one that changes your heart. I think sometimes we think we've got to get all fixed before we get there. Don't be fixed. And then memorizing scripture. And that is, um, that is probably one of the hardest ones for me, like ever. And, but it, 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 it makes a difference. When you have that stuff in your heart, and even if it's getting a devotional. Um, I read this one when this month started it's called Jesus Calling by Sarah Young and there's three to four verses at the end of every day and all I did was go read those verses and I wrote them in here I wrote what it said and it was amazing just that stuff kept getting into my heart like it just the, the constant repetition of those verses and being in God's word and so just spend that time you know writing and it's not long it's just like it's one little page so find something that works for you but do it that's, that's what I got so what are some other ways you can stay connected to the Lord throughout the day? Um, some things I've done um, in the past is I first card uh, scripture that I'm memorizing or working on, I keep it in my car. Put it on the handle of your stroller. I mean, there are lots of different um, times in your day that are consistent, that you're in your car, you're with the stroller, you know, whatever it might be. If it's table feeding kids or wherever you give them bottles, you know, 
have them sitting there and then just it's there it's ready for you you really get to where you have no excuse not to look at that even if it's just one verse while you're giving your child a bottle or feeding them or driving them to soccer practice whatever it whatever it might be and um, that's one way and then just get in the habit of praying you do not have to be in a prayer closet to pray in a quiet place with nobody around you can pray as you're folding the stroller and putting it in the back of the car or walking around the block in your heart you know you there just get in the habit of praying and telling him what's going on it doesn't have to be just first thing in the morning or right when you go um to bed and i even started when my kids were little um you know probably when they were like two or three you know we would just i would just sometimes pray out loud for things and um, as we were driving along we got to where if we saw an ambulance go by we'd pray for whoever was in that ambulance so i began modeling it for my kids and um, throughout the day as well so those are just a couple of practical ways you can do that yeah, and I think at Logos or some of those Christian bookstores, you can buy like a pack of verse cards or you can make your own where you write them out. And I found that if I stick a verse card somewhere, pretty soon I don't read it anymore. I don't know about y'all, but it can sit in my car for months and months. And I go, oh, I haven't read that in like two years. And it's still sitting there faded. It looks, I look spiritual though. Um, but you know, if you take those cards, <laughs> I do. So if you take those cards and like every time you change a diaper, flip the next card over. And I'm like, it takes not even a millisecond. Flip it over and read it. And then the next time you come in there, flip it over and read it. And literally just make that this weird habit that you do. That was every time you change it up, you flip a card over and you read it. And you'll just, like, it'll become natural. And then you start to find, like, you flipped it and you read it. And you go, wait, I already know that. I mean, like, I know it. That's so weird. Because you're changing how many diapers a day? A few. Okay, so you got lots of stuff going in your head. So just find things that help you make this stuff practical. And don't, it doesn't have to be like 50 minutes, people. Okay? Just a couple. All right. Here's my, here's the, maybe the harder one. Honesty and vulnerability with the people in your life, which we kind of feel like we've been hammering that this whole time. But pick trusted friends who are like-minded. Maybe don't go find people who don't believe in Jesus, who will tell you what you want to hear. Okay? Find people who are willing to call you out. And be somebody who's willing to call somebody out. Like, y'all, we got to be willing to say the hard stuff to each other. we got to be willing to say, are you spending time with him? No, I don't have time. Okay, well, I'm coming over, and I'm keeping your kids, and you're going to go spend time with them. Like, we've got to be willing to help each other, and we got to be willing to say that hard stuff. Trace and I have become masters <laughs> in saying the hard stuff to each other. We just have. I mean, she says to me all the time, but is that truth? It is right now. <laughs> She's like, no, it's not. And, and, and she tells me what is, and then I sometimes get mad at her, and we work through it. But, you know, it just, you got to be willing to do it. Because, again, it's either let me be dragged down by the lion or be willing to stand up with me and say that's not true. I have a great story about this. I have a friend who I have been friends with for, well, now we're going on 25 years. Um and really close friends. And she got to a point in her life that um, her marriage was not doing well. Things were not going well. She was believing lies of the enemy. And she said to me once it all finally came to the light, but I'm telling you it took two years uh, before it came to the light. And I said, what in the world were you thinking not 
not talking about this. And she said, I didn't want you to think badly of me or my husband in our marriage. And um, But then I realized I had a part in that too. I hadn't been asking the tough questions. So you've got to be one of those people, not only that's willing to talk about your stuff, but ask your friends questions. Questions that will draw out of them things that might be in their heart. Because I spent time with this person and we talked almost every day for two years and I didn't know her marriage was crumbling. I saw glimpses of it, but I didn't know that it was a day in and day out problem. And they faked it real well when they were around other people. Um, but if I had known to, if I had been that kind of friend to ask those questions, and then she had been the friend to, and she, and she said it was never about not trusting me. She just was believing the lies of the enemy. So you've got you've got to be both. You've got to be willing to talk about your stuff, but you've also got to be willing to ask friends tough questions. And you can't believe the lies of, ooh, they may not want to be around me anymore if I start asking those questions. Suzanne Sanderson can ask some of the hardest questions. And I, I fear when I tell her things or when she starts to sense that she knows something's going on with me because I know I cannot hide. But that's one of the best friends to have because she's not going to let me stay in darkness. And, um, you know, one... One of my big things that I want y'all to walk away with today is start this now when your kids are young in talking to others about your kids. Because when they're two and three and they're hitting their friend or they're talking too much in preschool or they're doing these little things that young kids will do that don't seem like a big deal, start telling your friends that your kids aren't perfect and that you don't believe they're perfect. And, you know, you may need help in how to help your child through these things, but if you'll start doing it when they're two, three, four, and being honest and not worrying about, well, if I tell my friends that my son hits every time he goes to Sunday school, they're not going to want their kids to be around my my son. You can't believe that lie because there's there's ways that people can help you, but you've got to start it now, because if you will start it now, and you will develop those relationships that you can trust, that friend is going to love you and your child no matter what you tell them, it'll be a lot easier than when they're 13 and have been diagnosed with attention deficit disorder and you're debating medication and, you know, worrying about that, or when they're 17 and get pulled over and they've been drinking, the, the, the problems only get bigger. And so you want to develop the relationships in your life now when your kids are young and be honest about your parenting, your failings as a parent, your, your kids' issues and struggles, because it's only going to get harder to jump in later. But if you've developed those relationships and you've got that pattern and that trust um, established now when your kids are young it really will serve you well when the issues get bigger and bigger and it's up to you to tell people what's going on inside it's not anyone like i think sometimes i'm like well they need to ask me the right question and then i'll share it yeah that's my problem not their problem and so i 
I've heard people talk about going to their community groups. Well, they never ask me anything. I'm like, well, what are you telling them? Are you talking about it? You know, so you've got, I mean, like we, in our community group, um, this has been, I don't know, like a couple weeks ago. And I, thankfully, do not struggle with body image and with the whole, like, eating and all that stuff. But I have a lot of people in my community group who do. And it was the weirdest thing, no surprise, in the last seven months that Satan started like whipping me with this. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And because for the last two years in community, that's not been a topic of mine. It's everyone else's topic. I, this couple of weeks, I just said, I need to tell y'all, Satan is whipping me with my body image. And it's the weirdest thing. Like, it's in my head, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm tempted to get on a scale. And like that, it's just weird. And they were like... God, you told us. So we'll start praying. And like, but it was up to me to go and say that and not just go, oh, it's not a big deal. I'll just leave it alone. It's just, it'll be fine. I'll get over it when I'm through this, you know, seven months or whatever. But it's, so I went, said it, and amazingly, since then, I haven't thought about it. So it's, when you get that stuff out in the light, Satan loses. He cannot be in the light. Like, darkness and light cannot coexist. When you pull yourself into darkness and you're by yourself, you're vulnerable, and he's going to beat you up. When you choose to get in the light, the power gets lost. And I know y'all probably think that's a little crazy. If you've done it, you know I'm not crazy. If you haven't done it, try it. It's, it's awesome. Okay, when I say stuff out loud, it's, it loses its power. I sent a text last night to 15 people, and I said, you need to pray. Satan is whipping me about tomorrow. So just pray. And I didn't get unnervous, but I felt better. (laughs) I knew people were praying. And I knew that God, like, this is up to him. It's not up to me. And so the truth was there. And I kept believing the truth because people kept telling me the truth. And so it just, he starts to lose ground in our lives when we allow other people in. Oh, you even talked about that trust thing. Or you want to do it? One thing I hear a lot is, I don't know if I can trust them with this. And what I would tell you is develop those relationships to where you know there's a basic level of trust, but then you've got to share and entrust God with the outcome. Um, And that can be really hard. And I'm not going to tell you it's foolproof and that it won't backfire on you, but you've got to trust God with that too. if you wait till the perfect time and you have proof that you have all the trust you need, you'll never share. So you've really got to rely on the Lord there and trust Him with the outcome. That if you're obedient to what He is telling you to do, that the outcome will work out. And I'll tell you something else to use. That's like email, text each other, uh, Facebook. Man, don't put it on your profile, but... You know, send in a little message. I mean, you can put in your profile. You've got more people praying if you do that. But, like, get it. Like, stay in constant communication with each other. I've sent more emails in the last, well, I, I'm kind of, I do that anyway. But in the last seven months, I've sent it, like, today I'm miserable. I can't do this. I'm crying all the time. And I send that out to my group of girls, create a little distribution list, and I just, then like, pray. They don't have to email me back. I just know they're praying. And it's just get it out there and say, right now I'm losing the battle. Or, hey, this great thing happened, you know, and then you have people praying and people checking on you and people keep like, and sometimes I'll send one says, I need to talk about this Monday night so that whenever I get there and kind of don't want to anymore, then they go, hey, let's talk about it. No, well, I thought y'all forget. But, you know, it just keep, keep putting it out there and then keep, you know, calling each other out and talk about it. Um, that's all we have. Yeah, I think that's all. 
The other thing is um, begin modeling community okay. for your kids. Um, you know, when they're real little, clearly you can't explain a lot. But as they get older, explain to them what community group is. Explain to them what you're doing.